following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. So I'd like to do our uh, gospel reading for today. And this comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. If you'd like to follow along, you can uh, find that in the Red Bibles, which are in the pews. In the pews. It's been a long time since I was in a church with a pew. Um, In the chairs, in the pockets of the chairs, on page 833. Um, Luke 2, 41 through 52. Now every year... Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth Nazareth, and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. So as we get started today, I wanted to ask you to picture yourself in middle school. Now, some of you are in... <laughs> I'll tell you why in a minute. Some of you are in middle school, so if you're already in middle school, you can maybe picture yourself in, like, second grade or something. But for those of us who are older, we're going to picture ourselves in middle school. How did you look? How did you dress? How did you do your hair? You have that picture in your head? Now... <laughs> All of our current middle schoolers at Artisan are very cool and very put together. So it may surprise them to learn that their grown-up friends were not not always as cool as we are now. (laughs) And certainly weren't as cool uh, when we were in middle school as they are now. Not me, of course. I have been super cool my whole life. Um, Shall I prove it to you? Do you want to picture me in middle school? It's, all right. All right, let's see a picture of me in middle school. Okay. You, you didn't have to laugh quite so loud. Now, um, for accessibility reasons and for those who may be listening on the podcast, I will give you an image description. Uh, No, I must. I must. Uh, So I am wearing what appears to be the Deal With It sunglasses from that meme. I don't know why I had them in 1990, but I did. Uh, A wristwatch, which I'm pretty sure had a calculator on it. A friendship bracelet. Uh, A gray t-shirt with a moose on it, because I was from Maine. Uh, 
uh, and inexplicably also a long sleeve white shirt underneath that t-shirt <laughs> rolled up above my elbows. All right. Oh, there's a strap on the sunglasses, yes. We could not possibly miss that. We don't want to forget that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, the hair, yes. Uh, this is, I think, probably about three or four weeks grown out from the time I went to an old-fashioned, uh, like, 60 years old in the 90s barber in a rural town in Maine and asked him for a flat top, by which I meant the cool flat top that the rap artists had and by which he meant a... Uh, a military buzz cut with just a little bit of a, of a thing that you pushed up with wax, I'm not joking, in the front. Uh, and that was thankfully grown out a few weeks from there. Okay, I'm so glad I only brought the one picture because it would be really bad if I had to show you and describe for you a second image of myself at this same age. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> yes. So my hair's a little longer there, as you can see. I think maybe I was in my spiked hair stage then. Tipped down in the front, spiked on the top. I'm holding a kite string, but really the best part uh, is the ensemble. <laughs> as you can see, uh, if you're uh, in the room with me, uh, I have a yellow Simpsons tank top and some blue shorts, which can only be described as very short. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure the only redeeming part of this image is the beauty of Portland Headlight way off in the background, uh, to which you can avert your eyes if you need. <laughs> so, enough of that. Could you please remove that from the screen? We all thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> today's sermon is titled The Adolescent God, uh, because it's a story of Jesus as an adolescent, or at least as a a preteen. It says 12 years old in the text. That's about how old I was in those two pictures. Uh, and I like to imagine Jesus going through a stage as goofy as I went through at that age. It's, uh, it's reassuring to me. Uh, and as you heard, the gospel reading today is an occasion where Jesus actually gets separated from his family at that age. Uh, and by the way, if you've been studying the lectionary, we didn't do the, uh, the Hebrew Bible reading, Old Testament reading today. Uh, but the story from 1 Samuel has a really neat connection to this because there's a, a, a concluding line in each of the passages about Samuel and about Jesus. The, the Samuel one says, The boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and with the people. Uh, and then the end of the Gospel reading, as you heard a minute ago, says Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Now that's probably not a coincidence and if that connection piques your interest, I encourage you to go and study those two passages from the lectionary a little bit more closely and maybe compare and see if there's more than just those two things that are, that are similar there. That's a little um, Bible nerd extra credit for you if you want to go do it. But today we want to talk about Jesus as a, a tween. Um, <clears throat> as Pastor Jesse mentioned at the children's moment, during the season of Christmas, which we are still in... Um, we think of Jesus a lot as a baby. That's the easy and accessible one. We have all the nativity scenes. We have all the imagery on the greeting cards. We have all the songs about Jesus as a baby. And the rest of the year, when it's not Christmas time, we think about Jesus as an adult. And what we don't often do is think of Jesus as a teenager. Um, but this is, this is important, and I think it's, I'm glad that, that Jesse re-emphasized it in the children's moment today, as I emphasized it last week in the children's moment, that Jesus was lots of different ages. He was every different age from birth until adulthood. And 
there's something to be learned from pondering uh, the life of Jesus at those different ages. And in this case, I think there's something important to be learned from the account of Jesus as an adolescent. He's doing what all adolescents do. He's pulling away from his parents. And he's coming into his own sense of himself. And this ends up preparing him for his adult ministry. But his parents don't like it very much. Now, it's no secret that parents and kids sometimes have a little bit of an experience of tension as the kids age. Sometimes it's when they're a teenager. Sometimes it's when they're a three-nager. I always used to say my son Abel was very advanced because he was in his terrible twos by the time he was 18 months old. (laughs) He's not in his terrible twos anymore, thankfully. Um, But because the incarnation means that Jesus was fully human. Again, on Christmas Eve, I I spoke of this and talked about how we kind of lose that aspect of it. We would much prefer, I think, a lot of the time, the divine Jesus. And he's there. But the human Jesus is so important to us because of occasions like this. Because of the fact that he's fully human, I think this little story can serve as a helpful model um, for families that might be in the same stage of life. And uh, I think there are some takeaways from this passage which I'd like to share for you, not only for adolescents and for their parents who might be um, anxiety-ridden and worried, but in fact for everyone, because obviously not everyone in the room um, or anybody, uh, not everybody listening to the podcast is, is in that same stage of life, and you may never be, and that's okay, because it's not just teenagers who are inclined to test boundaries, Right? <laughs> And it's not just parents who've lost connection with someone they care about, who might be searching for someone who they uh, understand in some sense to be missing or lost. Those experiences are universal. And so I think that this little account has something for each of us. So I want to share those little takeaways that I identified in the passage. Now what this is not meant to be is five foolproof steps for raising a teenager. I would not be qualified to to do that, and even if I felt I was, I'd like to think I'd have better judgment than to try. It's not meant to be a guaranteed method for finding those who have gone missing, uh, spiritually or otherwise. It's, It's none of that. It's really just a set of observations and ideas that I personally find helpful in this account. And maybe that you will find them helpful as well and ponder them and and, uh, treasure them in your heart as um, Mother Mary did. So here's the first takeaway. It's to embrace traditions. Traditions. Every year, the text says, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. If Jesus was 12 years old, this was apparently the 12th time that they had done it depending on when his birthday was. (laughs) It probably wasn't actually December 25th. This family was a family that observed traditions, and they went through the cycle of the year, and they they, uh, hit all the, the high points together as a family. See, traditions give us a way of navigating through the calendar. They, they give us a way uh, of knowing when to turn here or get on the highway there as we're journeying through life. Traditions offer a familiarity and consistency to our spiritual lives, especially, that we sometimes find lacking. 
And uh, some sections of the church are very good at observing traditions and keeping to a calendar. And other sections of the church are not very good at that. And the truth is, we're probably somewhere in between. We try to, to, to borrow and steal from lots of different traditions here at Artisan. And I hope that our observance of the Christian calendar has given you a sense of rhythm in the, in the years um, that has been meaningful to your spiritual life. But I'd also like to encourage you to think about the traditions that you keep, either in your family or just on your own because they're important to you. And it doesn't necessarily have to be um, overtly religious to have some spiritual value to you because it can put that same signpost, that same mile marker in your year uh, that, that these uh, uh, official religious traditions might do as well. And so I'd encourage you to think about those traditions and imagine ways that you might build in more meaning and depth into them. They're already there on your calendar. That's what's nice about them. Maybe you can expand those traditions. And if you are not the type of person who keeps a lot of traditions, or if you're displaced from uh, the family setting where they used to happen, or where they used to make more sense, maybe you could consider some of the rhythms of life that you find here at Artisan, or even in your community, your city or your neighborhood. A lot of us have uh, localized traditions that can help us in those same ways. And the, the thing about being a person of, of deep and abiding faith is that you can connect almost anything to it. I learned this when I was a homeschooler. We don't, we don't homeschool our kids anymore, but we did early on. And when you're a homeschooler, everything is an educational opportunity. <laughs> you see a bug and you can go, uh, let's have a math lesson about that bug if the kid is interested in the bug. Believe me, I can turn a, a little kid looking at a bug into a math lesson. I've done it. As a person of faith, I would encourage you to do that same kind of thing. Always be on the lookout for how you can use the handles that are built into the traditions of your life to have some uh, spiritual meaning for you. So the first thing, uh, the first takeaway here is traditions. Mary and Joseph and Jesus went to Jerusalem because it was tradition. And this, they had this, this little adventure together, which was formative for all of them. The second one is the idea of wandering. Don't be afraid to wander a little bit. And don't be afraid to give space for the people you love to wander a little bit. Mary and Joseph, you might have noticed, uh, were not exactly helicopter parents. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> um, they didn't even know he was gone until they were a whole day's journey out of Jerusalem. <laughs> right? Uh, And when they went back there, they didn't have any idea where he might be. It took him three more days to find him. And where did they find him? Well, in the temple. He said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So here's the tip, kids. Um, (laughs) You might get in trouble if you take off for four days. But if when your parents find you, you are in church, (laughs) that might get you off the hook. Just tell them you were having a 72-hour Bible study, and they'll love it. (laughs) So the interesting thing here is that when Jesus wandered away from his earthly family, his earthly father and mother, he actually grew closer to his heavenly father. He actually grew, grew closer to God. And I think we... um, 
it's, it's real hard for, for parents especially, but as I said, for anybody who, who cares about someone who seems to be wandering, to allow that to happen and not to try to, you know, reel somebody in right away because you love them so much. But remember that parable of the prodigal son. Even the prodigal son had to wander far away, had to completely reject his household and burn through his inheritance before he could get to the place where he knew his actual need and before he could come back to the father. So I think our job as as parents and as people who care about those who might be drifting away is not to build a fence uh, or to put a leash on them, but to be ready like the father in that parable, expectant and hopeful and uh, loving and with open arms for that moment when the when the one we love has returned. And here's something else you can do. You can, you can trust your community. Remember what it says of Mary and Joseph. The reason they didn't know that he was not with them is because he was assuming that he was somewhere in the group of travelers. They went on a day's journey and then they realized he was gone. And before they turned around and went back to Jerusalem, what they did first was started to look for him among their relatives and friends. I hope that you have found here at Artisan uh, and perhaps in, in other communities that you're part of a place where those you love can be entrusted to explore the, the boundaries and the edges in a way that's safe and ultimately um, building up of their lives. Uh, it really does um, like take a village <laughs> to borrow a phrase. So... The first thing is traditions. Embrace traditions. The second one is wandering. Allow some wandering to happen. And the third thing is this. This is my favorite one. Questions. Did you notice when they found him? After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. So, uh, kids, um, and anybody else who's... uh, sort of incessantly curious, don't ever let anybody tell you that questions are a bad thing. Sometimes we might want to tell you, ask me that later, <laughs> just to <laughs> build a little protection for some of the parents in the room. But questions themselves are not bad. As a matter of fact, questions are great. They're not just okay, they're wonderful. Jesus himself was sitting in the temple asking questions. I love it. And then there's a little guideline in there for those of us who get asked the questions. Maybe, we, maybe it's because we're parents. Maybe it's because we're uh, seen as a kind of a, a leader in a certain community. Maybe it's because there are people who trust us and, and look up to us and they ask us questions. For anybody who gets asked the questions, here's the guideline. When people ask you questions, listen to their answers. What? Did I read that wrong? Nope, I wrote it down like that. When people ask you questions, listen to their answers. Did you notice that in the text? I love this move. All who heard him asking questions were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Isn't that a beautiful thing? What does that tell us? It tells us that the uh, instructive model in the religious community that Jesus was part of not only allowed space for people to ask questions, but rather than immediately giving them the answers to the questions, 
asked the question in reverse and said, what do you think? That's, I'm, I'm interpolating a little bit here, but from what I know about uh, Jewish uh, temple, Second Temple Jewish uh, Bible study, this is how it worked. And actually, our, our Jewish friends uh, still get this to a degree that we probably never will. I try to carve out as much space for it as possible at Artisan, but it's just not in our DNA the same way it is uh, in Jewish communities. To allow space for questions and to allow the questioners to give answers. That is really dangerous, especially when we want to be protective of doctrinal truth. If you come and ask me, um, did Jesus really rise from the dead in his human body, it's very easy for me to say yes and to recite the creed to you. And I do believe that the answer to that question is yes. However, what good does that do you? And so if you come to me and ask me that question, and some of you have, you probably can attest to the fact that my response to you will be, do you think he did? (laughs) Why or why not? And then we get to go into this place where I get to be amazed at your answers to your own questions. (laughs) See, I, I think it's too quick to say, well, they were amazed at his answers because he was God. Yes, but he was also a human. Remember this, this, this duality that we uh, hold in mystery as Christian believers. And I think his, uh, the amazement that came at the answers to the questions that Jesus was giving was not just because he had all the answers right from the moment he was born. I think it's because he was uh, advancing himself in human wisdom and insight and favor. Questions are probably the best way that I know to learn the Bible and to understand it. And so that's why the questions one is my favorite one. It might be the most important thing I say to you today, is that your questions are okay and um, you can answer them before you know the answers and that that's a really important part of your spiritual growth. Which is not to say that every answer to every question is right. (laughs) But I have said for a long time that the best sermons that I preach are the ones that uh, leave people with not a list of answers, but with a list of more and better questions. So if I give a a sermon and you go away feeling like I just fed you every bit of information that I thought you needed, that's a failure on my part. If you go away and you have conversation in the car on the way home or you text a friend afterward and say, I really didn't get that part. What what did that mean? That's when I know I've done it right. And unfortunately, I don't get to see that because I don't monitor all your text messages. (laughs) Not all of your text messages. I mean, some of you. All right. Uh, By the way, the last thing I'll say about questions is that this is part of the model that we've built into the second Sunday's experiences. So uh, we have one of those coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, It's at 6 p.m. on Sunday, the second Sunday of of the month. And uh, you can come with questions, and we'll all be amazed at your answers when you do. All right, so there's my three observations from today's uh, story about the adolescent God. Traditions. Wandering and questions. Traditions, wandering, and questions. And I'm going to give you a bonus one, which is to hope for treasure. 
you know, in the midst of this experience, Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph did not understand. But by the end, he says, his mother treasured all these things in her heart. So if you're in the parental role in this story, literally or figuratively, seeking after somebody who's gone astray, I want to offer you the hope that there will come a day when when you will treasure these moments in your heart, even the ones that don't feel like a treasure right now. And if you're the person in the adolescent part of the story, (laughs) figuratively or literally, the one who has gone missing in some way, whether you're actually 12 years old or not, first of all, take heart and great joy in the fact that you get to play the role of Jesus in this reenactment of a gospel story. That's pretty cool. But also, know that your moms and dads treasure you in their hearts. You may not know it or believe it, but it's true. And if you don't have a mom or a dad... I want you to know that this community treasures you in its collective heart as well. And as a pastor, I treasure you in my heart. And I have learned over the years, not very many things, but one of them is to trust the entirety of your journey in my heart as a treasure. Journey is is a super overused word for the spiritual life, but I think the reason is because it's so fitting. It's so apt. Because on a journey there's a destination and you're not there yet. And because there's so much to be gained along the way that you begin to see that the value is actually in the travel. And because even when you wander and even when you are lost, that might very well be exactly where you need to be. Because that might very well be exactly where you finally find yourself able and ready to meet God. So Wherever you are, I want you to seek the treasure of meeting God. The God who miraculously and mysteriously was once 12 years old. The adolescent God. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this amazing and weird and fun story that tells of of a time when Jesus though fully God, was fully human and specifically was a 12-year-old human. Thank you for this model, for how we might interact with our own world. And uh, we, we pray and, and trust in the answer of, to the prayer that you would be with us at any stage of our life, at every stage of our journey, at every age, that we would know Jesus present with us in our joys and in our sufferings, in our confusion and in our understanding and that we might follow in his footsteps and find favor with you. We pray in his name. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.